0: Hello, this is Father John, Arthur, or Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is our 58th installment, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, the 133 presentations prepared and given by Pope John Paul II between the years 1979 and 1984. We are indebted to Professor Michael Waldstein, whose edition we are using The Gospel of Purity of Heart, Yesterday and Today theology of the body. Before concluding the cycle of considerations about the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, we should recall these words once more and take up again in summary form the thread of ideas whose basis they constitute. Here is the tenor of Jesus's words. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you whoever looks at a woman to desire her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. These are words of synthesis that call for deep reflection, analogous to the words in which Christ appealed to the beginning. When the Pharisees asked him, going back to the law of Moses, that allowed the so-called certificate of divorce, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? He answered, Have you not read that from the beginning... The Creator created them, male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and unite with his wife, and the two will be one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined, let man not separate. Matthew chapter 19, verse 3 through 6. Also, these words called for deep reflection to draw from them all the wealth contained in them. A reflection of this kind enabled us to outline the authentic theology of the body. Following Christ's appeal to the beginning, we devoted a series of reflections to the relevant texts of Genesis that dealt precisely with this beginning. What emerged from these analyses was not only an image of the situation of man, male and female, in this state of original innocence— but also the theological basis of man's truth, the truth about his particular vocation that springs from the eternal mystery of the person as the image of God, incarnated in the visible and bodily fact of the masculinity and femininity of the human person. This truth stands at the basis of the answer given by Christ about the character of marriage, and, in particular, about its indissolubility. It is the truth about man a truth that plunges its roots deeply into the state of original innocence, a truth, therefore, that one must understand in the context of that situation before sin, as we attempted to do in the preceding cycle of our reflections. At the same time, however, one must consider, understand, and interpret the same fundamental truth about man, his being male and female, in the prism of another situation namely the situation that came to be through the breaking of the first covenant with the Creator, that is, through original sin. One must see this truth about man, male and female, in the context of his hereditary sinfulness, and it is precisely here that we encounter Christ's statement in the Sermon on the Mount. It is obvious that in the sacred scriptures of the Old and the New Covenant there are many stories, sentences and words that confirm the same truth, namely, that historical man carries in himself the inheritance of original sin. Nevertheless, the words of Christ spoken in the Sermon on the Mount seem to have, in all their concise formulation, a particularly rich eloquence. This is shown by the analysis carried out earlier that gradually revealed what these words contain. To clarify the statements about concupiscence, one must grasp the biblical meaning of concupiscence itself, of the threefold concupiscence, and mainly of that of the flesh. One then comes to understand little by little why Jesus defines that concupiscence, precisely looking to desire in a reductive way as adultery committed in the heart. When we carried out the analyses of this topic, we tried at the same time to grasp what meaning Christ's words had for his immediate listeners, educated in the tradition of the Old Testament, that is, in the tradition of the legislative texts, as well as prophetic and wisdom literature, and finally, what meaning Christ's words can have for human beings of every other epoch, and in particular for contemporary man, considering the various ways in which he is culturally conditioned. In fact, we are convinced that in their essential content, these words refer to man in every place and at every time. In this consists also their value as a concise synthesis. To all, they announce the truth that is valid and substantial for them. What is this truth? Without any doubt, it is a truth of an ethical character, and therefore, in the end, a normative truth, as normative as the truth they contain in the commandment, You shall not commit adultery. Christ's interpretation of this commandment indicates the evil that must be avoided and defeated, the evil of the concupiscence of the flesh. And at the same time, it points out the good for which the way is opened by overcoming reductive desires. This good is the purity of heart, about which Christ speaks in the same context of the Sermon on the Mount. From the biblical point of view, purity of heart signifies the being free from every kind of sin or guilt, not only from the sins that concern the concupiscence of the flesh. Here, however we are concerned particularly with one of the aspects of that purity, namely the contrary of adultery committed in the heart. If this purity of heart discussed by us is understood according to the thought of St. Paul as life according to the Spirit, then the Pauline context offers us a complete image of the content of the words of Christ spoken in the Sermon on the Mount. These words contain a truth of an ethical nature, warning us to guard against evil and pointing out the moral good of human behavior. Indeed, they direct the listeners to avoid the evil of concupiscence and to acquire purity of heart. These words, therefore, have a normative meaning, and at the same time they serve as a pointer. While they direct the listeners toward the good of purity of heart, at the same time they point out the values to which the human heart can and should aspire. Hence the question, what truth, valid for every human being, is contained in Christ's words? We must answer that what is contained in them is not only an ethical truth, but also the essential truth about man, the anthropological truth. This is precisely the reason why we return to these words in formulating the theology of the body in strict relation with, and so to speak, in the perspective of, of the earlier words in which Christ appealed to the beginning. One can affirm that, with their expressive evangelical eloquence, these words recall the man of original innocence to the conscience of the man of concupiscence. Yet Christ's words are realistic. They do not attempt to make the human heart return to the state of original innocence, which man left behind in the moment in which he committed the original sin. Rather, they point out to him the path toward a purity of heart that is possible and accessible for him even in the state of hereditary sinfulness. It is the purity of the man of concupiscence who is nevertheless inspired by the word of the gospel and open to life according to the Spirit in conformity with St. Paul's words, that is, the purity of the man of concupiscence, who is completely enveloped by the redemption of the body achieved by Christ. This is precisely why we find in the words of the Sermon on the Mount the appeal to the heart, that is, to the inner man." The inner man must open himself to life according to the Spirit, in order to share in evangelical purity of heart, in order to find again and realize the value of the body freed by redemption from the bonds of concupiscence. The normative meaning of Christ's words is deeply rooted in their anthropological meaning, in the dimension of human interiority. According to the gospel teaching developed so stupendously in the Pauline letters, purity is not only abstinence from unchastity, see 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, not only temperance, but at the same time it opens the way toward an ever more perfect discovery of the dignity of the human body, which is organically connected with the freedom of the gift of the person in the integral authenticity of its personal subjectivity, male or female. In this way, purity in the sense of temperance matures in the heart of the human being who cultivates it, and who seeks to discover and affirm the spousal meaning of the body in its integral truth. Precisely this truth must be known in an interior way. It must in some way be felt with the heart, so that the reciprocal relations between man and woman, and even mere looks, may regain that authentically spousal content of their meanings. And it is precisely this content that is pointed out in the gospel by purity of heart. While in the inner experience of man, that is, of the man of concupiscence, temperance appears, so to speak, as a negative function, The analysis of Christ's words in the Sermon on the Mount, linked with the texts of St. Paul, allows us to shift this meaning toward the positive function of purity of the heart. In mature purity, man enjoys the fruits of victory over concupiscence, a victory about which St. Paul writes when he exhorts everyone to keep his own body with holiness and reverence, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 4. Even more, such maturity partially shows the efficaciousness of the gift of the Holy Spirit, whose temple the human body is. See 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. This gift is, above all, that of piety, donum pietas, which gives back to the experience of the body, especially in the case of the sphere of reciprocal relations between man and woman, all its simplicity, its lucid clarity, and also its interior joy. This is evidently a very different spiritual climate than the lustful passion St. Paul writes about, which we know also from earlier analyses. It is enough to recall Sirach 26, verses 13, 15-18. through The satisfaction of the passions is, in fact, one thing, quite another is the joy a person finds in possessing himself more fully, since, in this way, he can also become more fully a true gift for another person. The words Christ spoke in the Sermon on the Mount direct the human heart precisely toward this joy. We must entrust ourselves, our thoughts, and our actions to Christ's words, In order to find joy and give it to others. And with these words, our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, concludes his 58th Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. In order to better appreciate our Holy Father's 58th Catechesis, it's important for us to remember where we've been and where we're going. The first part of the Theology of the Body focuses on the words of Christ. Christ who is true God and true man, a man among men, speaks in human language. The eternal word of the eternal Father spoke in time. The words and deeds of Christ are recorded in sacred scripture. Pope John Paul II spends much time in the first part of his Theology of the Body focusing on various words of Christ. Christ's appeal to the beginning, the first chapter of the first part of the Theology of the Body, Christ Appeals to the Human Heart, the second chapter of the first part of the Theology of the Body. We're in the seventh section of the second chapter of the first part of the Theology of the Body, the Gospel of Purity of Heart, Yesterday and Today. We should recall that during the great Jubilee year 2000, that was a motto of sorts, Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when we hear of the gospel of purity of heart yesterday and today, let's not forget the forever part. For Christ is the model of purity, the exemplar cause. And it is by his grace that we're able to enjoy that virtue and to realize its fruit and part of the gospel of purity of heart yesterday and today. Pope John Paul II focuses our attention on the theology of the body itself. In this 58th Catechesis, Pope John Paul II, by reminding us that the authentic theology of the body is outlined thanks to reflection upon Christ's words. And in a sense, he summarizes the first two chapters. You have heard, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to desire her has already committed adultery in his heart. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28, that's Christ's appeal to the human heart, not to commit adultery in our hearts, but to be pure in heart. From the beginning, the Creator created them, male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and unite with his wife, and the two will be one flesh. Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 6. This is the first chapter of the theology of the body, those two selections of the many words of Christ recorded in the gospel have given Pope John Paul II and us who are studying with him, with his theology of the body, an insight into our bodily We are not just bodies. We are not just souls. We are human beings, human persons, and we are body-soul composites, And we are called to glorify God not only in our hearts, in our souls, but also with our bodies. What was striking for me was that Pope John Paul II did not specifically cite or put in the footnotes here his favorite passage from the pastoral constitution On the Church in the Modern World of the Second Vatican Council, Gaudium et Spes 22, where we read how Christ reveals not only God to us, but us to ourselves. Jesus Christ teaches us the truth about God and the truth about humanity, what it means to be a human being. But that passage of Gaudium et Spes 22 is very much present, I think, in the background Of this 58th catechesis, man and woman, he created them a theology of the body, because Pope John Paul II says, We are presented with the theological basis of man's truth, the truth about man. Jesus came to teach us the truth about man, made in the image of God, redeemed by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ himself, true God and true man. Pope John Paul II in this 58th catechesis says further, the truth about man's particular vocation springing from being the image of God. Doesn't that echo? Gaudium et Spes 22, Jesus Christ reveals God to us and us to ourselves. Here in the Theology of the Body, the truth about man's particular vocation, we're all called to holiness, springing from being the image of God, God who is holy, God who is pure, God who in Christ became like us in all things but sin to save us from our sins. The gospel presents us with the words and deeds of Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And what will set us free? The truth will set us free. The truth about God, the truth about ourselves, the truth about our bodiliness, the truth about our call to holiness— One of the truths which Pope John Paul II focuses our attention on in this 58th catechesis is the truth about marriage. Marriage is between one man and one woman for life. A sacrificial love, a unitive love, a life-giving love, a love to the end. This is part of the truth about marriage. Another truth is the truth about indissolubility. The bond, holy bond of marriage, once entered into, never ceases to exist, except by death, till death do you part. Alka-Seltzer dissolves. A bullion cube dissolves. Holy marriage, the sacred bond of marriage, does not dissolve. That is one of the truths about marriage, the truth of indissolubility, which is not very much in vogue in our day. Indeed, it has had a storied history, Throughout salvation history, if one only recalls Herod in the time of our Lord or Henry VIII, some centuries later, both of them could be poster boys for anti-indissolubility. But Christ, bridegroom of Mother Church, never leaves his bride, and he calls husbands and wives to be faithful Till death do they part. Pope John Paul II is giving us the truth about man here. He's giving us the truth about original innocence, how God created us well, all that he saw was good. He also presents us with the truth about original sin and our hereditary sinfulness as human beings. There is a sin which I have not committed, but which marks me, which scars me. That is the sin of our first parents. It scars you too. The remedy for original sin is the grace of God. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ on Good Friday and Easter applied to us through grace and faith and baptism deals with the eternal consequences of original sin and any sins up until that point. But the tendency to sin remains. One must grasp the biblical meaning of concupiscence, of the threefold concupiscence pride of life, concupiscence of the eyes, concupiscence of the flesh. But here, Pope John Paul II in the 58th Catechesis, man and woman, he created them, a theology of the body, focuses our attention mainly on that concupiscence of the flesh, a tendency to sin with our bodies, specifically in a sexual way. He does not seem to be fixated in any way on gluttony or drunkenness, But he is calling us to be pure of heart, not to be a lustful people. And in this, he is merely doing that chore assigned to St. Peter and his successors. Confirm your brethren in the faith. Confirm your brethren in the truth of the faith. One of the other truths which Pope John Paul II focuses our attention on in this 58th catechesis, man and woman, he created them, a theology of the body, is that we have a better appreciation of ethical truths. One of the truths we get as studying the theology of the body are ethical truths. What good we should do, what evil we should avoid. The good we should do, we should be pure of heart. The evil we should avoid, we should not be lustful. We should not have immodest, impure desires. Pope John Paul II himself, who was a professor of ethics at the Catholic University of Lublin in Poland, here, as Bishop of Rome, teaches to a larger audience, ethics, the truth about the good, the truth about evil. These are normative truths, truths which direct our lives, the way we live, the way we think, the way we treat each other. Normative truths are not relative, they are objective. This is the way it is. There are some out there, and there have been for centuries, who will say, well, that's true for you. Pope John Paul II is not a relativist. Holy Mother Church is not relativistic. This is the truth which will set us free. These normative truths, what good we should do, what evil we should avoid, were presented by the Lord Jesus Christ to those who heard him on this earth before his saving death and resurrection. They heard his preaching. They heard him appeal to their human hearts. They heard him call them, to be pure of heart. But these normative truths from the lips of the Lord Jesus were not intended only for those who heard him during his earthly ministry. These normative truths are intended for people of every epoch, every time and place, because it's the truth about the human person. It's the truth about God. It's the truth about human sexuality. These normative truths are meant even for us, contemporary people, Pope John Paul II's 58th Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, reminds us that there are evils to be avoided and evils to be defeated. The evil in question is the evil of lust, the evil of impurity. Purity is to conquer. Christ has conquered sin and death, the cross and the grave, and we conquer in Him. He is our leader in faith. Pope John Paul II teaches us in this 58th Catechesis that we are to realize the value of the body freed by redemption from concupiscence. So some who would downplay the Pope's presentation of concupiscence throughout the 133 talks might focus on this passage. Christ has redeemed us. By his death and resurrection, we are set free from concupiscence. The trouble is, we have a tendency to sin. Just because I have been baptized does not mean I do not have a tendency to sin. Just because I have been confirmed does not mean I do not still have a tendency to sin. Just because I have received Holy Communion does not mean I do not have a tendency to sin. This is part of the sad inheritance, our hereditary sinfulness. But we are not left to despair. We have great hope in Christ's victory. And when we cooperate with his grace, we are pure of heart. We overcome the tendency to sin, not only sexually, but in all the other ways. We keep all of God's commandments, not just the sixth and the ninth, but the other eight as well. We aspire to holy purity because Christ has called us to the same. While there are many other parts of the 58th catechesis, man and woman, he created them, a theology of the body, which are worthwhile looking into extensively. The last thing I would like to look at today from this catechesis has to do with our being incarnate spirits. We're not just our bodies. We're not just our souls. And Pope John Paul II addresses that in this 58th catechesis. He says we are incarnated in the visible and bodily fact of masculinity and femininity of the human person. Some people restrict the word incarnation to Jesus Christ being conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Liturgically, we celebrate the incarnation of Jesus Christ, March 25th, his conception, the Annunciation, And December 25th, nine months later, Christmas. And those indeed are feasts of the incarnation of the God-man, Jesus Christ. But here, Pope John Paul II is reminding us that it is not only Jesus Christ who has become incarnate. You and I, every human being, every human person is an embodied spirit. We're not just our souls. We're not just our bodies. Pope John Paul II puts it this way, incarnated in the visible and bodily fact of the masculinity and femininity of the human person. You were conceived and born a man. You were conceived and born a woman. And whether our bodies have been mutilated or not, we are who we are by God's grace and power In the mystery of his creation, this is how the Lord has made us. He saw all that he had made, and it was good. Our masculinity, our femininity. If we are men, we give thanks to God for that. If we are women, we give thanks to God for that. We are not like those who gathered for the council of Jabnia, who said, O Lord God, I thank you I am not a woman. No, we honor Mary as blessed among women, and we know she is holy. And all women are called to holiness. And we know that all men likewise are called to holiness, to purity of heart, our desires and our deeds. Not only purity in our soul, in our desires, but purity in our deeds, in our acting, in our way, the way we relate with other people. This incarnate fact, how I am not just my body, nor am I just my soul, but I am a body-soul composite is part of the mystery of creation, which precedes the mystery of redemption, even as we are living. So often in the mystery of iniquity, the mystery of sin, fallen man, we, however, live not only after the fall, we live after the redemption. Christ Jesus, who became like us in all things but sin to save us from our sins, has triumphed not only over the cross and the grave, sin and Satan, but he helps us to realize the value of our bodies, freed by his redemption, from slavery to sin, from concupiscence. Until next time, God bless you.